How are you feeling jovial? I'm feeling absolutely chipper. Are you? There's a good word. Yeah, really great. How are you feeling? Well, I'm trying to ignore the grey clouds outside and keep in high spirits because the theme of this podcast has, as you well know, because you came up with it, Queen of Themes, Hooray. is <laughs> Can Music Make You Laugh? Yeah, it's, well, firstly, what a great theme. Um, secondly, I think, yes, it can. I mean, that's the end of the podcast again. We've answered it. Thanks, everybody. It's been fun. Bye. <laughs> I guess the question is, can we go beyond just a, a wry smile and to something like a guffaw with music? By music alone, right? Because we know about this genre that is comic song or slapstick and black and white film where music carries so much of the humour. But is there something about the musical material itself that makes you laugh? That's the question we have today. That is the question. And I think oftentimes people think that highbrow sort of like, oh, what a, what a funny musical joke that is. Ha ha ha. Like you don't really understand it. So you just laugh along. That sort of thing at dinner parties when someone says, I don't know, I don't even remember dinner parties. But when someone's like, oh, yeah, like that thing in the Brahms three. And you're like, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> and you just you want to look like you're educated but at the same time you really don't know what they're talking about sounds like a dinner party out of a woody allen film listen do you do april fool's day do you know what i actually don't and i think i used to i was thinking about this the other day when we used to have like boiled eggs in the morning and then we'd like you know you finish the egg and you turn it upside down and then you give it to your dad like oh he's gonna think it's a proper egg but we used to do that every day i do remember that yeah <laughs> but especially on april fools and i remember my dad just being like I don't know, he must have been such a good actor because at the time I was like, he's falling for it again. But uh, I don't know, like April Fool's actual on April Fool's. No, I think sometimes it can be a little bit unkind. Yeah, I think it can actually pander to the crueler nature if you're not careful. So it's important to laugh with, isn't it? Not laugh at. Absolutely. That's the thing. That's it, which brings us very nicely... Doesn't it, though? ...to our first sort of... Well, she's... She was a cult-like figure in New York. So can I please talk about Florence Foster Jenkins? Please do. So Florence Foster Jenkins was an American socialite back when that was an actual job who had lots of money and maybe not much, this sounds horrible, but musical talent. She, she made up for any sort of musical prowess with just enthusiasm. She had the most over-the-top sets lavish costumes and her poor accompanist would be <laughs> absolutely sweating at the keys trying to like keep up with her if they had one of those little transpose buttons on the keyboard at the time i think that would have been very helpful have you seen the film with meryl streep and Hugh Grant? yes i have i saw it on a plane back when planes were a thing that was really funny and amazing <laughs> So basically, she thought she was really good at singing. And it sounds harsh now because if we exploited someone like that on X Factor, we'd think it may be in poor taste. Um, but she was just completely delusional. She thought she was amazing. And as we listened to probably Strauss's um, Adele's laughing song from Deflader Mouse, um, we can hear her just... 
<laughs> warble around the top notes, not really knowing where she's going. But because of that, because she was so confident and believed in herself so much and had so much money, people just fell in love with her. And they would go and watch her sing. And even though she was awful, she has this delightful sort of, you want to be on her side. You're rooting for her every time. for enthusiasm that by the way was Meryl Streep impersonating Florence Foster Jenkins I think we ought to get one segment right out of the way now um, because it's going to be the segment where some listeners might groan but I think it behoves us on a podcast like this to talk about our favourite classical jokes right would you like to go first what's the difference has between a conductor and God I don't know God doesn't think he's a conductor Boom, boom. I bet you knew that one. I bet you knew that I actually one. Did, well, I know the sort of variant. I, well, I, on the same vein, um, what's the difference between a terrorist and a singer? I don't like where this is going, as <laughs> Edgy, edgy already, gone. You can't negotiate with a singer. <laughs> That's just singer hate. Ooh, contentious, but it's interesting. Do you think there are instruments in the orchestra that are intrinsically funny yes i mean for me a bassoon can be funny just through the sounds it makes and often the personalities that go with playing bassoon they seem to have a great sense of humor absolutely like the bassoon well in um i was just thinking about prokofiev's um peter and the wolf when you have like the bassoon is the granddad isn't that right? So, and it just, it's just something really comical about that. Which is really weird then that um, Stravinsky used the bassoon for the Rite of Spring, like as the first opening instrument, because it could make you laugh, but it definitely doesn't because it's scary. It's not that funny. Not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about orchestral life and whether it's funny or not, because we often think of an orchestral musician's life as being really stressful. But, I mean, you've been there, you, you still are there, well, once COVID allows. Mm. What's it been? Oh, Haz is doing a sad face. Mm. It's true, isn't it? We can, we can but yearn. But tell me, you know, are there some jolly japes that you get up to as an orchestral musician? I think so. I think, because I'm only a freelancer, so I'm not in with the band full time at any point. So I think different bands have different jokes and in-jokes and things like that. But there are always, I think, things that make you laugh, especially when you shouldn't. For example, Marla One, the double bass solo. And you know that you should, it's really serious. And it's like a really sad London bridge that they're playing. Yeah, that's it. Frere Jacques, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. I knew it was something. And... Uh, yeah, it just, my shoulders start going, and then you think it can't get any worse, and then the tuba joins in. It's too much. <laughs> it's just too much. Of course, he was meaning to be ironic, but 
it does actually just sound deeply comic, doesn't it? Almost cartoonish. That's what I mean about the sort of highbrow, oh, he was meaning to be ironic. That's the, that's the kind of like intelligent mus- music humour that I think sometimes I miss out on because I'm too focused well, I do on the... Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concentrating on the slapstick, like, oh, someone almost fell off stage, ah, like that sort of thing. Well, have you ever had any moments on stage that have been as slapstick as that? Yes. Um, well, one of my last gigs before the lockdown, um, someone put an extremely rude uh, photograph in my <laughs> in my music. That old classic. Ah. That old, I've had that as a conductor. Oh. Really, have you? But it's just it just it made me laugh so much that my my shoulders were shaking. And yeah, other times, you know, when like if you're in the pit. Um, and you've got like mics and also speakers around you so you can hear the other side. Um, I could hear someone eating a sandwich. <laughs> and that really set me off. Because it was like plowman's with very, very crunchy lettuce. A, cr- a crunchy plowman's <laughs> at exactly the wrong moment, probably. That's what's brilliant, isn't it? When you hear a snore just at the moment of, you know, beauty or tension in the music. And it's cut through by this. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. In the audience. Right, I think we should start our formal foray now, Has into the world of comic music. And I'm going to start with a pretty obvious genre, which is comic song. And it goes all the way back to the minstrels. I'm going to play the Lumberjack song by Monty Python, a classic beneath as we speak, just to set the tone. And ladies and gentlemen, you can, of course, go to our Spotify playlist called Upbeat at any time and hear all the tracks from this podcast. And in fact, all the podcasts that we've done so far. Can I tell you about minstrels? Yes, please. I wish you would. Great. Well, minstrel actually means little servant, and it referred to a wide range of court entertainments in the medieval and Renaissance ages. Anything from jugglers through to, here's a new word for me, joculators. Wow. People who make you laugh and guffaw and titter. And in the 12th century, they were called fools. And there was a particularly famous fool called Roland's, who was renowned for his ability, apparently, to leap, whistle and fart. All at once! (laughs) It's still funny today. Still funny. And (laughs) I'd like to see that on X Factor. Apparently, Edward II and III insisted on calling their fools Robert, regardless. (laughs) Because apparently that's a really funny name. There was a dark side as well, actually, to being a jester, because you could be sent by the king to the opposing camp to negotiate and precisely because you were a jester and low-born they might just cut off your head and catapult it back over to the king so it was actually quite a high-risk profession oh my goodness can you imagine sent like for example sending bill bailey out over the trenches (laughs) listen bill we've tried everything (laughs) he is our modern day jester isn't he yeah very much so who are our other modern day jesters um musical Jesters? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so obviously we have to mention Two Set. Explain for those people who are not fans of this YouTube phenomenon. So Brett and Eddie are two uh, violinists and also tenuous viola players as well from Australia, I believe. Um, And they are just very good musicians um, that make fun of everything musical which is great fun. They make fun of themselves first and foremost so that you're always in on the joke. But they play through orchestral excerpts. They 
um, they review videos, they do shreds online, all these different things, and they're just uh, creators of the fictional character Ling Ling, who practices 40 hours a day. <laughs> do you know, that reminds me of another duo I wanted to share with you. I think it's time for our treasure swap. What do you think? Yay, let's do treasure swap. Well, has I have for you, because we're talking about modern day minstrels, I thought of the Flight of the Concord, a New Zealand comic duo, and I know you've come across them. They're so good in the way they just poke fun, not just at society, but also at musical genres. And they're brilliant musicians themselves. I love their live shows. This song, Inner City Pressure, is, I suppose, a satire of an earnest social commentary song. And it also takes the mick out of the Pet Shop Boys and that whole 80s genre. And it's just really funny. Have a listen. Inner city life, inner city pressure, the concrete world is starting to get you. The city is alive, the city is expanding, living in the city can be demanding. You've pawned everything, everything you own, your toothbrush jar and a camera phone. You don't know where you're going, you cross the street. You don't know why you did, you walk back across the street. Standing in the sitting room, totally skint, and your favourite jersey is covered in lint. You want to sit down, but you've sold your chair, so you, you just stand there. so bad what happened to those other underpants you had look in your pockets haven't found a cent yet Lennon's on your balls have you paid your rent yet in a in a city in a city pressure i love any song that can involve underpants and muesli in the same verse yeah i mean who doesn't fantastic i just want to put that out into the wider world if there are some unfortunately people who haven't yet come across them they're delightful um, and all good. I was I was going to say family fun, but it's not really. There's some risque stuff in there as well, but all done in very, you know, good taste. I think it's the family fun stuff that you could they it would go over their heads a little bit. Yes, you know we can say that. Yeah. So what's your treasure? Um, my treasure actually is a little bit more old school, but it's still it's a parody song. So I've chosen "Hello Mother, Hello Father," a letter from camp. Um, which is a novelty song recorded by Alan Sherman. Um, it's actually a parody of Dance of the Hours, which is from La Gioconda mm. by Poncielli. Alan Sherman received letters from his son, what he calls letters of complaint from his son, home from camp, and um, when his son was on summer school and he thought, this is just too good, I'm going to just fit it to this piece. And yeah, it just makes me chuckle because... It's old school and it still rings true today. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining and they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining I went hiking with Joe Spivey 
He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. Now I don't want this should scare you, but my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Hardy. They're about to organize a searching party. Well, that was very witty and whimsical. Thanks so much, Haz. What a treat. So, comic song is a huge genre unto itself, really, and I feel we're cheating a bit here because we did promise our faithful listeners at the beginning, Has that we would look at the pure form of music without word or image to go with it and see whether it could, in itself, be humorous. So, let's go back now to the 18th century and to the figure of Joseph Haydn. Because when you speak about classical music being witty, his name is top of the list, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. He's very, very clever. Very clever. And I suppose the wit of Haydn is about being disruptive, sometimes deceptive, playing with expectation. And that can be in terms of the form of the music, you know, having false endings. Um, or it could be just the playfulness of the ideas themselves. You know, there's something very high-spirited about so much of Haydn's minuets and his prestos. You know, he said himself that God had given him a cheerful heart and so he could be forgiven for serving him cheerfully, which I think is a rather nice quote. That's lovely. So he was a very cheerful man and lovely to be around, I would imagine. Nice guy, good player. Guess it he's in. <laughs> so have you played any of Haydn's string quartets, Has? I actually have. This is something that I have played. Um... First of all, like in music college, when you when you first arrive and you're like, oh, let's start a string quartet. And then you all go to the library and you're like, let's get out some Haydn. And then you all realise that you can't play any because it's, well, you can bash your way through it, but you have to really like work on the string quartet itself and how you play with each other. It's not just the notes. Playfulness takes precision, doesn't it? <gasps> when you're dealing with Haydn. Do you like that quote? Yes, love that quote. Playfulness takes precision because it's all about the interplay. Uh, often very fast between the players and the level of ensemble and like-mindedness to be able to pull off the jokes that are in the music. Now, um, I suppose the most obvious joke is the quartet called The Joke, which has a scherzo um, in the middle. And this is interesting because he normally wrote minuets, but in his Opus 33 set, he began to write scherzi, uh, which means joke in Italian. And although it's really fun throughout, it's the last movement, in fact, the very end of the last movement, that is the funniest. And I'm sure you know it, but let's play it anyway and have a laugh. Thank you. 
that is funny, isn't it? It's all in the timing. It is. It, it, that's what I mean. You have to be in on the joke as well. And I imagine like the audience sort of tittering like, oh, it's funny. We should laugh. Yes, I think you love to elicit a titter in the audience. And the wonderful thing is that it still does that for me today. You know, I still am on the edge of my seat wondering when's that last last little phrase going to come. And of course, that's so true for the slow movement of the surprise symphony as well, isn't it? I mean, you can just imagine how the audience were gathered there for the premiere in London dressed in all their finery and they're lulled into this full sense of security and then boom he drops this huge chord and it still surprises us even today even when we know what's around the corner uh, we're all in on that kind of joke and I think this is very much part of his marketing plan for those last London symphonies actually to have some kind of device it could be a comic one or it could be uh, just a feature to hang the symphony off and, and just to define it in people's minds. I was just wondering, did he name, you know these nicknames that um, that we have like for the quartets, like did Haydn name them? Uh, are these nicknames given by the composer or are these like colloquial terms that we've picked up over the years? It's a mixture of things actually. Mainly the names were given by the publisher in order to sell the works more. But in oh. the case of the Surprise Symphony, that came from the London public because these last symphonies that he wrote, the last 12, were to delight and titillate the London public. So he was pulling out all the stops and pretty much every symphony has uh, a remarkable characteristic or feature. What a wag. Mozart also had a fantastic sense of humour. We know that from his letters home and from general accounts of his anarchic, sometimes very rude behaviour. Always very playful. And that comes across in quite a lot of his music, but none more so than his musical joke. It's actually called Musikalischer Spaß in German, which means musical fun, which is a better title because really all four movements, it's almost like a symphony, are filled with fun. We're about to listen to the last movement where it's particularly outrageous, but before then, you have imbalanced textures, awkward melodies, wrong notes in the harmonies, all sorts of things that, you know, you were talking about that dinner party before. Well, they would be laughing along at all the theoretical jokes in the score. Is he making fun of incompetent composers or incompetent players? We don't know, but there is definitely something that is being poked fun at and he's cocking a snook. Do you know that expression? <laughs> no. It's, it's, a, yeah, it's when you do that. And here I'm just imitating uh, a hen's comb ah. at the end of my nose, fluttering. A hen's comb! Like the thing in um, The Wrong Trousers from Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, the washing up glove. The, end of the your fake nose. hen's comb. Yeah, yes. That is it. That's cocking a snook. <laughs> now we know. Anyway, here is Mozart wrapping up this piece, which is essentially about people getting it wrong musically. And it doesn't get more slapstick than this.
great ending. It's anarchic, isn't it? It's realistic. <laughs> Actually, when that tune came in, I was reminded of I know someone who spent a whole term teaching their pupil that tune, but on the beat. So you know it goes. They were they did it like like that, and then had to like teach their people like reteach them how to play it once they realised their mistake. Well, that's very playful as well, isn't it? You can make a musical joke out of a musical joke. Very good. Yeah, I like. That's a good way of getting around it. <laughs> so you, you might those with you know grade eight ears might have heard. Um, hackneyed modulations, farcical trills, and I suppose material that is going against the instrument. When you think of that horn line, right at the top of their instrument, right at the end of the the fourth yeah. movement, you know, I think it would be in character for them to split those notes, and that would be absolutely fine, you know, because it's crazy right the way up there. Splits happen. Splits happen. They do. They do. Now it might surprise you that Beethoven as well could be funny does that surprise you actually this is less surprising for me because i actually often if i am playing beethoven in an orchestra or something like that this makes me like grin like i can't stop smiling it makes me really happy to play so yeah i expect that you do oh well that's good because he was i think a very rebellious young man and he was taught by haydn or at least had haydn as a mentor figure and I think there's something about that disruptive quality of Haydn symphonies that Beethoven deliberately took on. He deliberately took up that mantle, none more so than in his first symphony. I thought, has what we could do is listen to the final movement of his first symphony, which is a musical joke of sorts, because you have this grand chord, ta-da, and you think, great, here we go, and then pianissimo really quietly almost on tiptoes as if they're sort of creeping across from the wings you have an upward scale really really quiet and you don't know whether it's going to get to the top of the scale so he really teases us with this what i thought we could do is listen to three different interpretations of this musical joke and see which you think is funniest and why so the first one is sir simon raffle with the vienna philharmonic so perky isn't it it is this is actually i think the most rehearsed bit of all of the symphony it's just yes. this bit with the violins and it's just really awkward and often when it's um like when people are rehearsing they'll say okay everyone else can go to break uh violins i'll just keep you for two minutes now and you can see them like oh <laughs> 30 minutes later do you know this is often used in conducting auditions as well precisely because it's such a tricky corner to manage and just to get both the timing of it, but also the humour. So what do we think of Sir Simon Rattle so far? Very nice, very nice use of dynamics. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the um, the sudden pianissimo on the third little run-up. And then I love the way he just snaps straight into the tempo. I really did enjoy that. Not bad, right? Not As we would bad. imagine from the Vienna Philharmonic <laughs> under Sir Simon Rattle. <laughs> but 
Uh, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> They're not bad, officially. <laughs> Let's listen to Sir Roger Norrington with the Stuttgart Radio Symphony Orchestra. Wow. <laughs> he really plays with almost every word of that scale, doesn't he? As if he's telling a joke really, really quietly and just whispering, yeah. really leading you in. I just think that's very, very playful indeed. What do you think? If you look at the, the picture of him on the on the cover, on the album cover as well, he's someone who's in on the joke, isn't he? Roger Norrington. <laughs> he is. He, he looks quite, he looks the, the rogue there, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Bit more tempo. Um, playing around there. Um, yeah, it would make me feel more on edge if I were playing this, definitely, because he strikes me as someone who would do something very different every time, which is great fun for them, not so much fun for you. But that's all part of the jeopardy, isn't it, that the orchestral players feel part of the joke and it doesn't become stayed for them, I guess. Very true, very true. Okay, so our third example is going to be George not someone known for his humour, in fact the opposite, known as being really quite a mean dictator. I hope I'm not defaming him in saying that, but he was uh, yeah, quite a disciplinarian um, and got amazing results out of his Cleveland orchestra. But anyway, he was a great interpreter of the classics and here is his version. That sounds the most Haydn-esque to me. Yeah, it's like he's wound up a little toy and then he just lets it go spinning when the when the main tune actually comes in. I like that one and the Simon Rattle one. I feel like Roger Norrington was like, uh, uh, like we know what's coming. Like, yes, we do. Come on. Get on with it, sort of thing. <laughs> do you think he over-milks it? Over-eggs it. Actually, can you over-milk? I don't, I don't think you can, can you? What, put too much milk in something? Well, I'm t anyway. <laughs> Have you never had a watery pancake? <laughs> Linguistically speaking, you're absolutely right. Over-egging, I think that's exactly what Norrington does. I, I have to say I quite enjoy it. Uh, I think if you're going to make the joke, you've really got to commit to it, is my, my thought. Um, but all three are very light-hearted in their way. Um, can I, at this point, just say anyone who would like to see a conductor... Um, and what they actually look like when you make a mistake or, you know, if they're disappointed. If you go onto YouTube and type in conductor horn fail, that's conductor horn fail, it's at the end of Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, and <laughs> this 
it's when the horns come in. Splits happen. It's it's like one of the hardest instruments you could ever play. Mm. Like ever. Unpredictable, and then aren't they? His, yeah, and they just make a little split, and his face is just so disappointed in them. His hands come down. He's like, "Oh, for God's sake!" And it's just brilliant. <laughs> a perfect example of what not to do, actually, in a live concert. <laughs> yeah, and not from the horn players, from the conductor. Like, don't be rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While we're talking about YouTube, I mean, we did mention two set before. Um, we ought to just mention before we go on to our final braving the stave segment that YouTube is, of course, a complete goldmine of funny classical humour. And uh, I'm thinking of Shreds. This recent phase of, of overdubbing amateur sounds on the top of a professional performance. My personal favourite is Itzhak Perlman playing Vivaldi's Four Seasons. and it's, That's what I was going to say! <laughs> it's the faces he pulls, I mean, it just goes so well <laughs> with what you're hearing and it always makes me laugh. Do you have another favourite? Oh, just one of my favourites is Man Sneezes into Trombone During Salvation Army Concert. <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> it's one of my favourites. But because it's Salvation Army and because the audience, they're in a church, everyone's just like really quiet. No one says anything because they're all very polite mm. people. Um, another one is the ending of the Messiah Hallelujah Chorus. Um if you just type in hallelujah fail, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> it's at the end. Something goes wrong, I think, with the transposing or something, and the, the organ just comes in a completely different key. The choir don't really know what to do, and then the uncertain clapping at the end when they're like, oh, okay, it's done. <laughs> yeah. my alarm for quite some time your alarm and also i think the stuff of nightmares isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> again yeah I, i've never played organ so i can't imagine how horrible that would be i mean you mentioned the messiah and there is of course for we like sheep oh we like sheep in handel's messiah there is the phrase all we like sheep have gone astray and i believe it's just a... the comma not just yes, the comma it, it's the all we, comma, subclause, like sheep, comma, have gone astray. But when they're singing it, it's, oh, we like sheep. Do, 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 do. And it's just a song about just people liking sheep. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. But it just it makes me chuckle every time. It's good to have something to look forward to in a well-known piece, isn't it? Just to sort of as a brief moment of levity. <laughs> it beats just lining up your money on the stand, doesn't it? I want to mention about parody as well, because some composers are just brilliant at this art of parody. I'm thinking of Shostakovich, who lampoons the Viennese waltz and various military marches. We mentioned Mahler beforehand, who is a dab hand at parody. Even so-say-serious composers like Bartok have a go 
um, I'm thinking of his concerto for orchestra, where there's an interrupted intermezzo, that's what he calls it. <laughs> and the interruption is in the form of, well, a little dig at the light opera style, perhaps of Leha, or even perhaps of Shostakovich. It's contentious. But if you want your parodies less highbrow and more at the belly laugh end, then you've got to turn to Malcolm Arnold. In particular, his grand, grand overture that he composed for the Hoffman concerts. And this is a wonderful send-up of the Rossini pompous, overblown opera overture. I, I think we have to also say that it is the grand, grand overture. It's not just you being you know, like, oh, it's very grand. It's so good and he named it twice, <laughs> right? The grand, grand overture. It's as grand as it can get because it's for orchestra, organ, rifles, three hoovers. Two of them have to be upright and tuned to be flat and one of them is horizontal but with a detachable sucker in C <laughs> and an electric floor polisher in E flat. Wow. And... I suppose part of the joke is just the theatre of it all, particularly at the end where these noises just overcome the music and the orchestra have to fight back. Let's just listen to a bit of that and to the grand, grand Rossini-style parodic ending.
Now that's an ending. You're begging them to stop at the end. <laughs> I love, you know, sometimes, um, I think it's more European countries, they, they start applauding like right before the end of the piece anyway. They're like, ah, like that. I wonder how, <laughs> how early <laughs> into that like two minute yeah. ending they started applauding. It gets my funny bone each time. It reminds me a little bit about Beethoven's fifth grand ending to the finale there. That, to my mind, is almost comical in how long it goes on. I suppose we've grown used to it, but actually, I don't think he was meaning to be mm. humorous, but there's something quite overblown about that. I don't know how you find it. I do. I, I think it's so over the top, but I think because it's Beethoven 5, you're like, oh, fair dues. It's a big work. But I feel like everything Tchaikovsky ever wrote, ever, is like, do and I, like it just goes on and on and on but i love that as well <laughs> you need that emotional payoff don't you at the end of a tchaikovsky work uh, you need that catharsis oh has we've we've covered so many segments of the pie chart that is humor and music from the obvious uh, the comic songs right the way through to parody and there's so much more we could be speaking about, of course. Uh, I'm thinking of divertimenti and humoresques and the gentler end of the scale. But time is pressing on. I feel we ought to be braving the stave now. We are going to look at the Merry Pranks of Till Eulenspiegel by Richard Strauss, who was so brilliant at writing tone poems. And he's, I suppose, best known for really quite serious works. Um, but with this, he said he just wanted to make people laugh. Have you played the tone poem Till Eulenspiegel? No, no, not at all. Brilliant. So this is going to be a whole journey of discovery. Is this bad that I've never even heard of it before? Not necessarily, because he's better known, I suppose, for Alsersprach and... Did he write uh, Don Juan? He did. He did. Don Juan has sex more than I do. <laughs> I don't know why. That's brilliant. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Oh, now you're bringing up a whole new tradition of orchestral musicians putting quotes onto famous bits of music. Yes, like in Vaughan Williams' A London Symphony. Um, do, 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 have a banana. <laughs> I can feel this podcast sprawling out of any possible shape. <laughs> you also look like you've got a tension headache coming. I'm going to make sure. Okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. We'll go straight on to some actual music, like music that was written, not music that was penciled in to like someone's parts. Indeed. Rudely. So back <laughs> to intentional musical humour in the hand of Richard Strauss. So talking about words that go with a tune, actually, this was intended. When you hear the horn at the beginning, it actually spells out Till Eulenspiegel's name. That's really cool. It is. I'll point it out when we get there. We have a Once Upon a Time opening in the strings to this. Let's just set the scene. There you go, that's his name on the horn. Till I 
that's hard. <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? And it remains hard throughout because it's so volatile and so full of mischief. It's really vibrant writing. And I should say that this was based on an actual prankster from the medieval ages. So Till Eulenspiegel actually existed. And so what Strauss is doing is that he's just retelling his lustige Streicher, his merry pranks in music. And Richard Strauss is so well known for being able to put pretty much anything from a teaspoon through to a volcano into music. He was just so adept at putting any idea into sound. And that is what marks him out as a supreme tone poet. I'm actually learning loads. This is great. Genuinely, I'm loving it. Oh, thanks, Haz. What you just heard there was the orchestra building up, going ta-da, 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 a bit like the Beethoven one, right? You wonder what's around the corner, and then in comes another very important theme on the clarinet, the perkiest of instruments, personifying his mischief. You know, it's, it's really, really cartoonish and comical, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, just like that cat in Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, that sort of, as soon as you hear that character, you know exactly who it is. I really like that little... It's full of fun and you wonder what he's going to get up to next. Let me tell you, he puts on various different guises and costumes and the funniest one, I think, is when he pretends to be a priest. I say funny, but actually it's going to land him in rather hot water. So here he is putting on all the airs and graces of a rather pompous priest. And guess what? Has will love this. It's led by the violas and the cellos, but the violas have the top of the tune. Saxophonious, isn't it? Till spots some pretty women and tries to flirt with them, still dressed as a priest, mind you, and that is what lands him in trouble, uh, because obviously it looks deeply blasphemous to be doing that. And you'll hear this lovely dialogue between very playful woodwinds and the strings that get ever more passionate as Till's advances get more urgent, because he gets rejected first of all, but he's not to be dissuaded. It's very coquettish. the slides in there I mean he's really souping it up isn't he
end or is this a spoiler <laughs> I like that house let's just cut to the chase already <laughs> yes it is a bit of a spoiler but I've got to tell you um, he gets executed for blasphemy and you saw that one coming <laughs> but uh, you can imagine how Strauss enjoys <laughs> the execution scene what do you reckon he uses orchestrally to depict the gallows is it like percussion when they're like like <laughs> exactly drum rolls and then <laughs> bang yep and massive threatening brass just like Berlioz in the Symphony Fantastique um, in the March to the Scaffold let's have a listen interjection he's still telling jokes on the scaffold isn't he yeah that's all like but i didn't do no wrong <laughs> like doo -doo 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 -doo. and then the military going which is actually quite scary sounding does feel threatening and and then you get the final nail in the coffin or well, two nails really palm on the trombones and tuba a really dissonant interval a major seventh <laughs> gasps there right up in the top of the woodwind it's such vivid tone painting isn't it and you'll be pleased to know has that in the final chapter his spirit does actually live on and we have some kind of happily ever after so there you go that was a very brief overview of what is a masterpiece of Richard Strauss and you can find a rather lovely recording of that with Herbert von Karajan and the Berlin Philharmonic on our upbeat Spotify playlist so do go looking for that. As, as I say, that's just been a really brief snapshot. But will that be a piece you'll come back to, do you think? It will. I actually didn't know that piece at all. So I'm really happy that you introduced me to it. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. Now, do we have an April Fool's themed Welsh joke as a sign off? Aha. Well, <laughs> actually, uh, when you sent me a text saying, oh, we'll probably just finish with and then um welsh for just a welsh short joke but i thought you meant can you translate uh -huh, yeah i see short joke or little joke into welsh so <laughs> i was like no problem i know that one already jockbach jockbach just little joke i'm quite relieved actually because i thought i was going to have to <laughs> learn a whole welsh setup and punchline then jockbach even i can manage that thanks has and thanks to everyone who's listened in and joined on this merry meander through humour in music. I hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll be back in May. What are we going to be doing then, Has? Dancing around the maypole? May dances? Spring awakening? Oh, it's got to be spring. 
Well, we come full circle back to Right of Spring. <laughs> if you missed that one, <laughs> you'll love <laughs> our, our next spring instalment. So you'll be hearing from us in May with that. I can't wait. Until then, we're going to sign off with another lovely bit of light-hearted, humorous music, this time in the guise of a masterpiece from the BBC light music era from 45 to 67. Yes, I did have to Google that. And this is Portrait of a Flirt. Enjoy. (laughs) 